how could I have done this better? And I first say it's the umbrella over the top, executive sponsorship, executive leadership, those things matter. But in the project, when you are so complex in what you're trying to do, and in my complexity example, it's multiple inputs. You have to decomplexify at some level in the umbrella because you can't try to get all your success criteria across complex items. Hello, everyone. Thank you again for tuning into Bite Size Law with Siddharth Menon. On today's episode, we will be focusing on the topic of project management, project management, especially in the legal tech world. As a part of this topic, I had the opportunity to speak with Ryan Sawyer, who is the director of legal transformation and also is a USGO head at Elevate Services. As part of his role, he devises and implements methodologies and repeatable best practices, driving operational efficiencies and expanding capabilities of the legal team while serving also as a member of Elevate's executive leadership team. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. If you like it, please do like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts on, or on Spotify or on any podcasting platform of your choice. Thank you once again. Hello, Ryan Sawyer. Welcome to Bite Size Law. How are you, buddy? Hey, Sid. It's good to talk to you. How have you been? Been good. It's been a long time since I spoke to you. I know that we've texted on and off, but I'm really glad that you've joined Bite Size Law. I'm pretty sure a lot of people will enjoy listening to your conversation. You're a pretty charming person yourself um, with a lot of experience that you have. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a fun conversation today. So I've never been short on words, as you well know. (laughs) So Ryan, for all those people who do not know you, would you mind providing a brief background about yourself, how your journey has been and all that good stuff? Yeah, I think most people find it very unique how I've gotten here. But uh, my name is Ryan Sawyer and I'm based in Phoenix, Arizona. I currently am a director of consulting for contracts and our U.S. geography had to elevate services, global contracts and well, really alternative legal service provider company. So in my role today, what I do is I obviously work heavily in professional services around CLM implementations, consulting for customers around what type of technologies like a CLM could help benefit their contracting process. I have a background in some legal expertise, so I do a lot of consulting on the contract process itself and how they can better prepare for systems. And then I also do a smattering of other things that elevate between contracts, uh, sales, things of that nature. What brought me though this path is actually by trade. I'm actually an aerospace engineer. Oddly enough, I was, I know it's uh, quite the different journey, but uh, I was a U.S. Air Force veteran. So I used to work with pilots on different systems in the aircraft. And throughout my career, I had always worked in things like troubleshooting, training, processes. And that started really in the military where, you know, to be able to train a pilot, you have to get them to follow routine checklists. You have to be able to trace issues and errors and really prepare in that sense. When I got into the private world, I really was rudderless in which way I wanted to go. So I worked at a few different companies where I tried everything from, you know, products and maintenance and actually applying my engineering skills. But then I found this niche world where I worked in really just services in general, dealing with everything from supply chain, sales, products, 
And one of the things I did is I was very heavily involved in developing processes around how to make things more efficient. I am a Six Sigma black belt as well as theory of constraints certified. So I'd gone down that path on process management, but I noticed that in my course of my career, I was helping lawyers be a little less lawyerly because I could also work <laughs> with sales to help them be a little less salesy. And I kind of combined the, yeah, it's a good way to combine two people, but it was always a barrier in my career of getting things moving. And just by naturally progression in my career, I was able to work on contracts to make them simplified, work on processes to make it easier to get to a contracting process and get less held up on roadblocks and different things that we knew were analytically not going to work for a company. I applied that over time. And, and then obviously it matured itself about 10, maybe 12 years ago, where I was working in a sales operations group, leading a different business unit, setting up a project management organization. And I started to have to involve technology because we all know about cost reduction. And you guys know this from coming in from a legal standpoint, I can reduce legal turn times or sales turn times very quickly on a process. But in the end, there is still the matter of how do I track it? How do I trace it? So I fixed the front end and couldn't do as much on the back end. So I would involve things like salesforce.com is where it kind of all started, maybe even prior to that Microsoft Dynamics. But I did start getting into legal technology at that time, whether it was different modules through your common systems, and then obviously expanding into some of the bigger names you know today of Isertis, Ironclad, Agiloft definitely as, as a key market player. Just go down the line, Conga. I mean, there's so many players out there, but some really good ones that I got involved in. And then here, you know, my current role, we are looking for now taking it to the next level of, you know, I can do process and I can mirror technology and help enhance a process. But now we got to get unique to let's find the right technology that fits into your enterprise, right? That's the next goal. And how do I even lean it out more with things like artificial intelligence or different tools that combine and integrate with each other? Awesome. That's a that's a very interesting background. So how was the transition like from being in the aviation industry, aviation specific to the defense industry, and then transitioning mm -hmm. into the private world? So was it easy? Do you find the private world to be much more interesting than the you know defense industry? So how was your transition like? I always jokingly tell people the military was much easier because there's less opinions, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're told what to do and we follow it. No, I would say that, um, to be honest with you, the hardest part of my journey was actually realizing that I had a value to add, right? You run into so many people that are experts in their careers, right? They have a, a deep legal expertise or they've done contract negotiations for 30 years, or it's a salesman who is the highest revenue seller. How do you inherently show value? When you're in a defense and space world, the value is following a process, executing and everybody goes home safe. And that's a very good model. And I, I believe in that sure. heavily because having been in the military, but if you take it to the other side and you're in the private world, showing inherent value isn't the easiest thing. So one of my biggest struggles has always been whether it's managing a project, whether it's starting up a new organization, building a culture or working with a customer to deploy a tool. I mean, take it across the board. How do I show value? Because I'm asking somebody to do something a little different because it will benefit them, but they've done it a certain way and they've become an expert so long. Do they want to listen to me? Do they want to be open-minded? How do I show enough value? And how do I also give them enough empowerment and ownership to run mm -hmm. with it? The transition was actually easy into the private world in the sense that it was a whole new it's an open canvas. Do what you can to make things work. Get creative, refine processes, which is really where my heart 
is I will also say though, it became hard on the side of how do you show value? Because unlike the military where so much is scripted, we in the business world have to be up with all the changing technology, changing processes. And absolutely, we have to be able to show and make colleagues feel super empowered to want to work with us. Correct. Well, I can assure you that when I work with you, I learned a ton from you and you made me really comfortable because for some of the projects I directly used to report to you and I had a fun time working with you at Elevate. So, uh, I mean, really, I mean, tons of... We feel uh... for you. (laughs) (laughs) So, Ryan, today's theme for... Uh, the episode is basically project management. So when we talk about legal tech or CLM tech, there's a lot of challenges that arise while implementing this technology. If everyone thinks about the big picture or everyone looks at the big picture, yes, a CLM tech can alleviate all contracting related problems that an organization face. However, project management is a key task or a key component in ensuring that the tech is implemented in the most efficient manner. There's a lot of planning, there's a lot of cost-related discussions and all those kind of things going on when it comes to project management. So keeping in mind that theme, how would you define project management and why would project management be very important, especially when it comes to implementing legal tech products? You know, it's actually a great question, Sid, because I I go back to what we were just talking about with inherent value. So when you ask a question like, what is project management to me and where does it kind of fit in in value? What I'll say is it actually is the core to any kind of change, not just change. It's the core to keeping different groups running together. So I think of it almost like the hub and spoke system, or some people might call it the central brain. But in a project, and project management specifically, the goal isn't necessarily to solve a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. I, I, although I know there is a charter and there is a defined goal, and I know we'll go into that with some other questions. But in essence, if I take the whole of project management, the value it adds is it allows all of these people on the spoke, all of these different units that you are bringing together in a project, whether it's internally at a company, you know, your sales, your procurement divisions, or what legal departments, what have you, just different groups of people who inherently have different goals than each other, and sometimes are very conflicting goals internally at a company. Or you also add an external party, whether it's third parties, consultants, or just two companies trying to work together. Project management's first and foremost overarching success is the ability, and goal should be the ability to make these teams all feel valued, all feel empowered and heard, very much heard, that they have a say in this, they're moving the needle. But it needs that central brain to filter all of that because if you didn't, each group's going to pull in different directions, right? The project management person or organization can take all of these inputs and help drive towards the ultimate business goal. It is a middleware, a very valuable middleware, a system that filters all of the noise. You know, I have a business unit's goal, I have what they're requesting in this project, and I can formulate it along with all the other inputs I'm getting from the different business units to my project plan and to make sure that maximum value and ownership is received from all parties, but that the the process, the, the goal moves, the ultimate deliverable moves forward. So I view project management really as that central hub or central brain 
of any kind of motion in the company. And I don't mean a deliverable like manufacturing and shipping. I mean, helping the company grow, expand, contract, move laterally, whatever they need to do, whatever they're changing. Project management is just invaluable to help everybody be represented and empowered, but also that the company reaches its goal. A hundred percent agree to that, because especially when it comes to implementation of tech products, let's look at the example of a CLM tool. There are a lot of players in a particular project, right? There would be the legal department, there would be this business units that you need to collaborate with. Then you would have your own technical team who is implementing this tool. So as a project manager, if I unpack what you said, would stand as a nucleus that drives everyone together in a much more collaborative fashion. So so having said that, Ryan, so collaboration and teamwork are the core of project management. So what are your strategies to ensure that you're bringing everyone together? Like what are the critical skills that a project manager should have to ensure everyone's working together uh, for the, you know, for the business objective? Uh, patience. No, just uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a, a, a core concept, lots of patience. But no, I think that um, when I look at project management and, and what some of the success criteria are, and again, beyond patience, because patience really is that virtue that's going to help multiple people with multiple goals. But good project management, especially in a CLM implementation, and I say especially because it is such a dynamic portion that runs organizations, right? Like you can do anything in an organization, but ultimately there is a contract, a rule, a compliance standard that measures everybody, right? Yep. So project management specifically in the CLM world is some of the core things is really helping set that success criteria. That is the core number one, because if people are misaligned even a little and what's going to happen in an implementation, you immediately start to get off a path whether it slows the project down, the product morphs to something that it shouldn't be. There's no value return on the investment because let's not joke. I mean, CLMs, like any other technology, are an investment. They yep. have an, as much as any technology across the enterprise lifecycle, I tend to think that CLMs at least have the ability to be the highest return on investment, ROI, but don't always end up that way. And I think part of that is because in a project management world, you need that really core design success criteria. Mm -hmm. And then take that one level down, the project manager uses that concept to make sure that each individual, first of all, that the right individuals are involved in the project, but also that the goal that ultimately overarches everything is also described and identified specific to their group. Like those kind of things around success criteria I think really drive that project management and, and really what helps drive it in a CLM implementation or really any project, but CLM implementation specifically. The second thing I would add, if I can add one more thing on that is you have your success criteria and the project management drives that portion, then it's the communications around it mm -hmm. because a project management goal and one of the key factors in project management is to make sure there's no silos of information. So mm -hmm. if you're always constantly tracking to a success criteria and every input on your project plan correlates directly to the success that a team will see and the overall top line will see, then you're immediately also communicating often so people can't veer off track. So to your question about what are some of those keys of the project management, I think completely it's the success criteria and communication that really are the strongest aspects that uh, 
will help a group or will help project or what project management brings to that implementation. I 100% agree. So aligning the group together, ensuring that they are working towards a common goal. So definitely project documentation, recording everything down so the team is aligned on what the objectives are, what their tasks are. Having these strong documentations in place is also a key criteria to ensure that everyone's you know, uh, aligned towards the project objectives, right? So having said that, Ryan, how important is a project plan? The reason why I ask you is because initially when I started project management, I never realized that a project plan is so important in the sense that, yes, you have a rough layout of what your objectives are, what your tasks are. But as I progressed in the project management world, I realized that if you don't have a solid plan, then things can go a little wary. So I wanted to pick your brain on the importance of project plan in your opinion. Why is it a necessary document to ensure the success of a project? This may be counter to what a lot of people will think, but I'll explain. I actually don't know. I'm splitting hairs a bit, uh, as the old saying goes. But really, I think the project, the initial project plan, let's call it, is minorly important to align parties to get started. And then after day one, no, after minute one of a project, initial project plan no longer matters. Yep. What really matters is the reoccurring updated status project plan. If you have a project plan that is not adaptable and constantly updated, to your point, Sid, it is, it's just invariably, you're never going to get the project done. Mm -hmm. So it needs, and, and to that exact point about being adaptable and modifiable, it also needs to be able to be held to so that you don't go over a time. So it probably sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but I think that in, because I start in the sales cycle and I'll explain to the folks here that I obviously start and I give a projection to a customer, hey, based on your inputs today, I think it's going to take you know 20 weeks to do this and here's some constraints and here's some thoughts, but it is a design only. When we get into a design session, we're going to have to really readjust this project plan. So the day we start the project, that initial concept I gave them is no longer valid. I need to be able to build it with the folks that are the SMEs. Now, the original project plan is a great guidance, but unless everybody has an input to it and has ownership of it, I can then hold them to align to it, right? And mm -hmm. then every time we make our weekly status, our daily status. So <laughs> to your point, said about how important a project plan can be from there, the adaptable project plan, the one that everybody mutually agreed to early on is so important because when inevitably things come up in a project, we all know that. Yep. So inevitably when something comes up that will deviate the plan, everybody has ownership, everybody will have feedback. And before the project deviates, everybody needs to give that feedback. It is a project manager's tool, if done correctly, that can really help corral everybody involved in the project. It can help everybody align, and it can help really report, communicate. It can help hold standards. It can help actually break disputes. Again, yep. being open and honest, disputes in a project are also very <laughs> common. Yeah. So if everybody's aligned and have been aware of the project plan, then you are already ahead of the game because no matter what happens, that project plan will help keep your team together. And even if you extend it 20 weeks more or retract it 10 weeks, everybody's on the same page. So don't worry about your initial project plan, but that adaptable project plan from day one onward, it is invaluable to keep people guardrailed, true north direction, as well as really encompasses 
a snapshot of what this project's going to do. And it yep. tells you who's involved and where that way you can continuously do your other things like gap analyses and so forth. So just, I can't stress enough that adherence in an CLM implementation, especially because usually you are bringing multiple parties together in a system. You're going to drive change management off of it. The project plan is absolutely a top, if not the top tool, a top three tool to actually making sure you can execute a project. Yep. Yep. I completely agree because like you said, project plan definitely is important. However, the adaptability factor also should be taken into consideration, especially we've seen many a times in CLM implementation that when we get to the discovery phase, the entire scope of the project might change. The, the clients or the customer might start adding new contract types or new workflows or new templates, so on and so forth. So the adaptability factor has to be taken into consideration, especially since you touched upon that topic about conflicts or disputes within key members within a project. As a project manager, sometimes we need to step in as the adult in the room, right? So what are your strategies when it comes to handling conflicts, especially when there are so many players and stakeholders within a project? Yeah, I think that's it's a fair question. And I don't want to ever avoid an answer, but I'll say as an umbrella to my upcoming statement that it's all situational because I always have a saying that you need to have, as a project manager especially, you need to have lots of tools in your tool belt. And metaphorically speaking, because you need to be able to be firm, be soft, be collaborative, be direct, be a hundred things as a project manager. So with a grain of salt, conflict first starts with, as a good project manager, recognizing the situation and knowing which tool to start with. So from there, I would say that some things that I use to help conflict in a project, because it's usually whether it's between conflicting parties, whether it's um, an unexpected delay by a technology, whether it's a cost issue, an overrun, a change in scope, a hundred things. I first always start with, if you have defined success criteria, defined timelines, defined cost parameters, and everybody is aligned, then number one thing is to resolve a conflict is you revert back to that master level. Getting too detailed and getting too granular, you know, somebody wants 15 extra things versus 12 extra things. That can be too cumbersome. Mm -hmm. You take it back to the top and you make the person with conflict work with you on to proof why there is a conflict. It's a good way to start and make sure they feel heard or the issue is heard if it's not a person, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be addressed right then because you want to bump it up against the criteria. So you start with those master goals. In any good project, you also have steering committees because a lot of conflicts can be resolved quickly by a project manager by walking through that first thing I just said. You know, Make sure that the, is your issue really part of our success, yes or no? How is it addressed? Is it conflicting with something I can change? Awesome. But you have to be ready quickly to assess that and bring it to the right people. If there is a true conflict and it is a non-solvable by running it through the success criteria or there's a decision to be made, you have a steering committee, you have an escalation level in a project specifically to address this. Project managers need to be able to solve a lot of problems. The biggest problem they can solve is not waiting to raise an issue. That's mm. an interesting way to look at it, but I want a project manager who will pull the trigger quickly to involve me and other executives for a decision so that things can move on and get back to coordination of all the different activities. So the number one tool obviously is the success. And then second is the tool of using your steering committee. Those will help resolve conflict. 
Other things that come up though in a project for conflict is usually around items that don't necessarily relate to the project. So the third thing I would just raise to this group, and again, it's it's I, I, I will categorize it as less direct as the first two, because those are your absolute gold standards. Mm-hmm. But I really think that a lot of conflicts come up in projects because they are inherently related, but very distantly to the project at hand. It's not a bad thing, but a lot of people that are SMEs or involved on your projects, especially with the CLM implementation, are going to bring up things that honestly aren't in scope of the project, but Mm -hmm. for years they've been dealing with, you know, whether it's a downstream contract impact, whether it's a person in another division that always slows up a contract and all of those things might be resolved down the road. Once the CLM is in place, because you have analytics, you have document storage, you have compliance rules. That's wonderful. But a project manager is inevitably going to run into scope creep and that kind of conflict through scope creep needs to have a home. So I definitely want to make sure that project managers know the the final top three, I guess a top three tool I would use and helping in a conflict resolution is being able and ready to put an issue in the correct home because you're going to find a good significant portion are not really part of your project. Or if they're not more than say 50% in line with the project, they need to go to a different home and being able to not try to carry that monkey on your back, not try to own that problem too. Because your project is a high success, high directed by the business, generally speaking. And there are other people that can help own and drive issues that are more related to what they're working on. Conflict resolution wise, obviously, first and foremost, adherence to the success criteria. Use that as your buffer to uh, negotiate an issue. Second, bring it to the steering committee because that's what they're there for soon, quickly and often. And then third, make sure the issue goes to the right home. Don't try to take it on if it's not truly part of your project. And patience as well, for sure. <laughs> like <laughs> patience, <said>. always back <laughs> to patience. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially when it comes to managing stakeholder expectations, would you have the stream strategy? Like, you know, uh, ensure first you keep in mind the success criteria, ensure it is communicated directly if a project is creeping in scope and customers are being sort of unreasonable and having expectations which are beyond your SOW so how do you manage stakeholders' expectations in such situations? When I say stakeholders, mostly I mean uh, customers and also the key, the person who yeah. has the budget and who is ready to invest that money in a particular project. So how do you manage um, those stakeholder expectations? First and foremost, I mean, I, I, obviously you, you hit the nail on the head. A lot of that comes to the success criteria. So I'll take it another step if that's our baseline is managing expectations of stakeholders. Number one, please, team, don't forget to document. Document everything. It is so hard as a project manager to document. That is one of the things that I struggle with myself the most, and I'll own up to that. But I'm talking meeting minutes, project plans, links, storage areas, because inevitably any kind of conflict and or stakeholder management and resolution is always going to come back to what's in the contract, what's in the SOW, what's in the project plan, what's in our success goals, what's in it, what, what did we talk about three weeks ago? Because people have big issues going on. The project manager is generally the only one dedicated to the project, right? I mean, that's a fair statement. So no one else lives and breathes the project like a project manager. So always, always document that is your number one and make it so readily available. If you are working in your organization and there is not a good platform, there's a lot of great ways out there to make sure that it can be very available, get creative, 
but you will inherently never fail if things are documented. And I mean, I can still learn from this. But again, meeting minutes, project plan, status updates, steering committee updates, make sure they're there, make sure there's a lot. And that would be the second thing is if you don't have a good rhythm of communication to the right people, or you start to see stakeholders fall off, you need to raise that up immediately because how do you manage stakeholder expectations and stakeholder feedback? Well, first and foremost, they got to have a platform to do it. To that same point, they're not all dedicated to these projects. So they're in and out thinking about other things. I need to make sure I lock them in at a certain time routinely. And then if they start to fall off of that, I need to grab them and make sure that, hey, you, you really want this. And if you can't make it, here's the written notice of it. There is no magic to stakeholder communication. It is considered really good, just good old project management mm-hmm. is the people and folks that can best make sure things are documented and communicated and not just directly as in like, you know, hi, Sid, this is your update this week. No, it's, I want your feedback. I need to engage you. So if you stop coming to my status update meetings, I need to make sure there's a question for you every week so that you feel like you have a reason to be there. Mm -hmm. And that's okay because there's plenty of decisions in a project. We just tend to over consolidate, but as a good project manager, you'll be able to read your room and know your people that are working and you will get to a point. So just make sure that you're documenting, communicating, and asking questions of your stakeholders. It will always get you ahead of that game and make sure that they're engaged. Fascinating. So uh, when it comes to documentation, there's tons of uh, project management tools out there, right? When it comes to taking, having meetings, having having to take notes, so on and so forth. So how tech-savvy should a project manager, I mean, how tech-savvy should a PM be, in your opinion? Well, that's a tough one because <laughs> I am not tech savvy, as we know, <laughs> but I get by. And as an engineer, I'm shocked by, you know, people today that can do all these extra things. And I, I realize I'm, I'm pretty antiquated at times in my capabilities. What I'll say, I think that's a good question, though, is how tech savvy. Tech savvy can only make your life easier. But I think and this actually, just so you know, folks, I'm going to throw this out to see the CLMs in general. But. You could be the most tech savvy person in the world. If you don't have a baseline of good project management communication, you'll never be able to use the technology to its top abilities. I say the same thing with CLMs and Sid, you've heard this from me a hundred times. In a CLM, if you don't have a good legal process and good legal stakeholders, you could have the greatest technology in the world. It's only going to make it a little better. You'll never maximize without standardization and good process. So how tech savvy should a PM be? I think extremely to enhance their life, not to do the job. First and foremost, I want the person that is a good PM with great communication, great documentation, and a lot of patience and good organization (laughs) first. I can teach them skill after, and then to make their life better, especially if they're hungry and eager, and they go out and pursue technologies, that's just the most fantastic growth model of all time. But get your baseline first. So a high need for high tech savvy project managers, but do not stress and do not be turned away. Get the project management standards first. You will inherently fall into technology second. I, I, I personally went that route myself, right? That's how I got into technology. Awesome. <laughs> so switching gears a little bit here, Ryan, do you have any interesting anecdotes about managing complex projects? It doesn't even have to do with the legal tech world. You know, uh, it could be from the from from your time with the defense. Any interesting anecdotes? Yeah, I, I think you know it's um 
I was thinking about this a little bit the other day because um, it's actually not even the military. Uh, in my career, I actually spent about eight years in renewable energy. And it, it came out of my making a transition to sales operations and doing a little bit of selling, a little bit of project management. I was actually titled as a strategic alliance leader, right? I used to go build cross between multiple companies, a working model to bring products to the market. Mm -hmm. And I, I think from a complex project, and what I'll set the table is that in solar projects, right? It's like, it's, it's definitely construction because you have these massive implement installations, right? Millions of solar panels, hundreds of miles by hundreds of miles of just panels, right? Or hundreds, but miles and miles of panels. And, you know, a year or two to build and you have ground excavation. So think true construction project. And for those of you who've done construction projects, those are thousands of line item type projects because every little piece goes in from how to dig the ground to how to set the ecosystem to how to screw in a panel, how to connect electrically. But then the other complex portion is I also have power grid. I have a whole nother segment of business that is required because as I'm installing, I'm also pushing energy into a grid. I have a financial aspect because there are investors. I have an environmental aspect. And just thinking about complex projects like that, there couldn't have been a less te technologically driven project because everybody operated separately. Plus you had about three to four companies involved. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, each company has different divisions working with each other. So I guess what I would bring to the table about a complex project is, and it was a failure, and I think it's okay to call out failures. And I learned a lesson is trying to run projects multinationally and multi-company, even though we had a common goal, we didn't have a common decision tree. Everybody had their own decisions. And ultimately, we all wanted to build these multi-million dollar solar fields that would power you know, half of a region, right? I mean, these are powerful places, but we never broke down the barrier of how to work together. Yep. And if you're going to be in a strategic alliance, and I know not every project is going to be like this, we could micro this to a company, but think multiple companies, multiple divisions, even though we had a standard goal, everybody had to get their sub goals and do it differently because they have different operating processes. Putting that umbrella over the top, again, way back to our beginning conversation said around the project managers are the central brain. When you get into a complex project, you gotta be able to raise it up that level to make sure that people don't detract from each other because inevitably forces are pulling apart. It's just nature, right? Everybody needs to go do their thing and it's me first, right? Not that people are even mean or rude. Mm -hmm. It's very hard not to hit your goals if you're receiving pressure and the whole greater good, especially when you're complex between multiple companies, the greater <laughs> good is your company first, like no matter how you look at it. So we didn't do super well. We were over budget and you know there were definitely some hard feelings and alliances that didn't go so well. But I've always taken that into a project where I'd say, okay, how could I have done this better? And I first say it's the umbrella over the top, executive sponsorship, executive leadership, those things matter. But in the project, when you are so complex in what you're trying to do, and in my complexity example, it's multiple inputs, you have to decomplexify at some level in the umbrella because you can't try to get all your success criteria across complex items. You need to get to a core one or two things, or you need to descope the project. I should have, in my example, um, and look, I had the power. I was running the strategic alliance. I should have decoupled it. I should have said, we're going to phase it. Uh, you know, no matter what, we can't do power until we're built or you know, a million other things in this example. 
I should have been stronger to decouple this project. As a project manager, you'll know quickly after your design phase, this is too complex or it's too risky. Don't make the decision yourself. Don't try to run something too complex. It is okay to raise a flag. It absolutely should have been okay to raise a flag to say, hey, decision and steering committee, we're too complex. We can still do this, but these are the risks. I recommend X and take those SME inputs, recommend something else. So let me take it down to CLM, CLM implementations. Sid, you and I have been through this before together. And yep. sometimes we have an SOW and we want to be so hard coded to that. And I myself say, that's great documentation, follow that. But in a project, as we start to see it go south because customer might be misaligned or our company together might be misaligned or we're marching in different directions because we have to get timelines done, raise that flag and say, time to descope, time to reset. Because if you lose a week, every partner involved in that project is gonna be angry, but would rather invest in a week or two of reset versus going down a road and having months of reset. <laughs> so <laughs> absolutely, um, I hope that anecdote helps, but I really just wanna stress that like decomplexifying and raising the flag is the best way to deal with the complex projects because you can never have so many parties and so many complexities all get to the same goal. It's got to be very, very simplistic, high level. And then you just keep working through, make sub projects, make, you know, and make them in order, but don't ever try to do the that large overall, I can do it. I can do so complex because you're just not going to have a good experience. I 100% agree to that, Ryan. And thank you for sharing that because not many share their failures when it comes to projects, because everyone's keen to talk about, you know, successful projects. But at the end of the day, you learn from your failures and then you move on. And yeah. that way you implement in your future projects. So Ryan, I know that you're really busy and I'll wrap this episode up. But before we go, uh, where can people reach out to you, Ryan? Oh, um, LinkedIn is always best. I'm actually, uh, I, I do check my LinkedIn folks, I promise. So uh, <laughs> if you just look for Ryan Sawyer on LinkedIn, I think I'm the only one, but I think it's ryan.sawyer slash AZ, I think is my my LinkedIn. But uh, obviously, as well as you follow this podcast, Sid always knows how to find me. We've been friends a while, friends and colleagues so always knows how to get a hold of me. But I appreciate you having me on. And I hope that this gives you a little bit of background. Absolutely. Thank you so much again, Ryan, for joining Bite Size Law. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful day ahead. Yeah, you too. Thank you.